You must learn the ways of the Force. How do I get? Yes! You must unlearn what you have learned. Your power is a weak old man. You still have much to learn, my young apprentice. We would be honored if you would join us. Hi everyone, this is episode 2 of Tap That Minute. I am the Artifact Princess. Joined by me is Tangent. What is up everyone? And Boston, Massachusetts. Hello everybody! And today we are going to be discussing zones. And we have some comments and an email that we received. Yeah, and we decided to throw out some special actions, too, because learning a little bit about special actions will help us with the uh, zones. Yes, it will. So, uh, to begin with, we had a couple comments on mtgcast.com, our uh, wonderful people that do the hosting of the show. And our first comment was from someone named Ronim. R-O-N-N-Y-M. Ronim says, Hey, thanks for the show. Keep it up. And we definitely appreciate that. Yes, we do. I was uh, excited to see that first comment. How do you feel about that, Boston, Massachusetts? It makes me very, very happy that we actually had a comment in the first place. And Does it was it a positive a warm, one. fuzzy? No. Not that, <laughs> not that happy yet. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, no, so we have like five pages of comments. Oh, but we had a comment from Ultima, which was a positive uh, or constructive criticism is what you could call it. Yeah, I wouldn't call it uh, criticism as much as just construction. He's just pointing out some things that could have been either said differently or a couple... He's pointing out a couple areas where we may not have uh, gotten everything 100% correct. And we are open to that um if if you catch anything that we say in the show sometimes when you're doing a show you just you know you're you're in the moment and you might stumble over your words or you might say something just generally incorrect and if if anyone out there catches anything we say that's incorrect we want you to point it out to us because the only way we can help people learn is by by telling them the right way to do things so Ultima had a couple things here. He mentioned that uh, on tribal sorcery, which which I spoke of when I, we were talking about the subtypes of sorcery cards, and he said uh, Elf doesn't have a sorcery subtype. Tribal gives the spell the creature subtype of Elf, but it's different from if it was a sorcery. And and I, I completely understand that was more of a miscommunication on my part. I was more trying to get people to understand what the subtype looks like, uh, whether it be tribal sorcery or sorcery. Like I, I did mention sorcery with a type of arcane. Uh, I was just pointing out that there's also tribal sorceries which have a, a, a subtype of elf. And that's what the subtype looks like. It's followed by the long dash after the card type. So that is is uh, on me. That was m- that was my problem. So um, the, anyway, that uh, that's one thing. Basically, don't 
sorceries themselves don't have a creature type associated with it. That's why tribal was created to begin with, is to give the distinction to where you could actually apply it to a creature type. So that's that wasn't trying to mislead anyone. That was more just uh, a trying to get people to understand how subtypes look. Um, as far as that goes, uh, the next thing that Ultima wanted to talk about is he mentioned that an aura can't enchant itself regarding regarding that topic that we discussed he said that uh that regarding that rule um i was just a little off on the way that it was the way that it actually is affecting the game um he says that basically what what Ultima is trying to say is that I referred to it, say, as if a creature was enchanted by a pacifism aura, and that creature was destroyed, then the aura would be looking at only itself. It would basically be trying to target itself. But that's not what the rule is saying. What the rule is basically stating is that if there's, like, say, an an aura that can attach to a permanent, okay... Um, you can't like attach an aura to another aura that's that's a permanent. Right. So uh, it like okay the the example that he says is if there's a faith fed, faith's fetters in play enchanting a creature and a player casts an aura graft on the faith's fetters, the player can attach faith's fetters to itself. This is a legal action because faith. Fetters says enchant permanent, and at the time of casting Orographed, Faith Fetters is a permanent. When this happens, Faith Fetters is trying to enchant itself, and because of this rule, instead of the card floating in play, doing nothing, it just goes to the graveyard. Right. Which I understand. Um, like, Faith's Fetters is like, be before my time of actually playing Magic, so mm-hmm. me being able to even use that example... It's hard enough for me to even say Faith's fetters, but... Uh, <laughs> say it ten times really yeah, fast. Yeah, really. Like, she sells seashells at the Faith's seashore. fetters. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, yeah, th- I mean, I, I appreciate that. You know, he's right. he is right, and I did say it a little off, but the but the point still is basically the same. It that can't it chant itself. That it, that, well, that, th- that an aura... Yeah, I mean, more or less, right? So, yeah. so... It still is going to go to the graveyard either way. Right. Um, I agree. And then the the other part that he mentions is regarding the regeneration. When there's negative counters on a creature, it doesn't get stuck in like an infinite loop of dying because... There's and this is technically true. I, I use that more as an example. So people can understand it. Kind of. It just t- can't t- That regenerate. was more of a flavor example. And since I'm right. try- I try and go away from flavor because that doesn't help you learn the game better, right? So right. so I tried to give you an idea of, of how that really looks like flavorful-wise. But he's right about the fact that that actually what, what is happening is... Uh, the game has state-based effects, which which constantly are checking things. Like, for instance, a state-based effect is if a person is at zero life, then they die. Okay, right. that's a state-based effect. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. one is if a creature has <coughs> zero toughness, it's sent to the graveyard. That's a state-based effect. So, 
what he's trying to say is that if you have negative one counters on it, then it would go to the graveyard. Right. Okay. Regardless, because once the state-based effect is checked, then it goes to the graveyard. Mm-hmm. But either way, regardless of, you know, these th- the slight miscommunications or, you know, even just misreporting on, on our part to some extent, mostly on my part, uh, Ultima said, keep up the good work. The network needs a show like this to keep going on. And I agree. And that's the thing, again, you know, we will admit when we're wrong about something. And, and definitely the way that we put that information out there was not 100% correct. But the overall is still the same. Um, you know, the maybe the explanation wasn't, but the, the overall was, it's still true that, you know, with wither counters, with not minus one counters on a creature, that creature's going to die permanently. Right. And okay. So yeah. So we we didn't say it exactly right, but but the information's out there, and and I appreciate being corrected so that we can get the proper information out there to people. Right. But and I have to say that I agree with the the analogy that you did use because when you try to regenerate, it keeps those negative counters on it. So basically, it just dies. So you can't regenerate it. I understand what you're saying, and I understand Ultima's way of explaining that it just can't regenerate. Yeah, it just it just dies because that's zero right. toughness. It goes mm-hmm. to the graveyard. So right. I mean, he is right, but there's no possibility of regeneration after that. So um, okay. Anyway, that's pretty much all we had for comments, and we appreciate the comments, and we'd love to hear some emails. I know that uh, Elijah, who's a good and longtime listener of Mana Screwed podcast has sent emails and says he really appreciates the show. So definitely love the people that keep listening and uh, hope to hear more from you. Yeah, I was looking for emails all week at tapthatmana at gmail.com. Um, I, w- I know that Tangent Boston and I would love to hear from anybody that has any comments, suggestions, or remarks. Um, you can also put the remarks and suggestions on um, the comment section of the podcast as well. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, this show did get up a little bit late because uh, one of the great hosts of the MTG cast network is was having some Internet issues, so we did have a little trouble getting the show up. but. Okay. It got up, and that's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, so to be to begin with, we'll start we'll start with special actions. Um, but wait, before you start special actions, what is this segment about? Tangent. What is this segment about? Mm-hmm. Special actions. But didn't you say it like? earlier like day or two ago about zones is that no zones is yeah we said this episode's going to be about zones but to be but to begin with okay in order to to let people better understand some of the things we're going to be discussing about zones Mm -hmm. i want to go over special actions special actions were discussed very briefly in the first episode but i think if we clear clarify much like we did the golden rules in the first episode if we discuss the special actions in this episode, it will clarify some things as we go on. Okay. So. All right. Yes. 
Special actions are actions a player may take when he or she has priority that does not use the stack. Which, again, w the only time we've mentioned this before is playing a land as a special action, which we discussed in the last episode. And there are six special actions. The first, again, playing a land. The second... Turning a face-down creature up is a special action. A player can take this action any time he or she has priority. Uh, an example of this is an ability, which again is a little before I played, but I do know of the ability. It's called Morph. And many people, whether they've played um, back in the day or if they played more, started playing more recently, have played this simply because some of the dual decks and things like that have had morph creatures in them. So a morph creature is like you pay a certain cost, it comes in to play, this card comes into play face down as like a 2-2, two -two, and then you can pay its morph cost at any time as a special action, mm. doesn't use the stack, and you can flip it up. So that was that's what made morph such a powerful ability. It for the most part it wasn't it wasn't it didn't seem to be the most powerful ability if you just like looked at it at face value but once you started to realize like the fact that morph is actually used as a, as a special action that it it can't be interrupted and it doesn't use the stack that's when morph became such a such a really powerful ability Okay, I was going to have to ask a question. And About what Morph was? Yeah, because face down creature, you know, put it in face down and then Do you remember up. playing Morph, though, with uh, the, when the very first deck you ever played was the Jace dual deck, actually. Oh, okay. awesome. It had Morph creatures Boston. in it. Right. Right. Yeah, so. Okay. Yes, it did. Yeah. You I actually, <laughs> both Jace and Chandra, I believe, had Morph creatures in their dual decks, but I know for oh. sure Jace did. Right, we played with the Sandwich, which is also a kind of a co-host on a Mana Screwed podcast as well. Right. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's what Morph is. <laughs> yes, That was exactly. a very long time ago. <laughs> so, okay. Sweet. So that's, that's, again, turning a face-down creature face-up is a special action. So the, the third one... Some effects allow a player to take an action at a later time, usually to end a continuous effect, or to stop a delayed triggered ability from triggering. Doing so is a special action. A player can take such an action at any time he or she has priority, but only if the ability or effect allows it. What's that mean? Well, what that means is that uh, there are certain creatures that actually have the ability to say well just certain creatures for example that allow you, allow you to have the ability to ignore an effect uh they're just certain permanents or whatever cards that allow you to ignore ignore an effect which is uh like okay most of these uh, most of these I will say were before really I started playing okay but an example of of one of those is uh there's a card called the Dominating Lissid, which is one blue-blue for a creature Lissid. And it has the ability of one blue-blue tap 
dominating Lycid loses this ability and becomes an aura enchantment with enchant creature. Attach it to target creature. You may pay blue to end this effect. So that's what it's saying. Like when it says you may, and then the the ability is you control enchanted creature. So it has the ability basically. The Lycid has the ability to en- control an enchanted uh, a creature. You tap it, right? And then basically the creature becomes an aura and it can enchant uh, another creature. But what it's saying is you can pay blue to ignore the end, or to to end the effect. So if you want him to become a creature again and stop being an aura again, you can just pay blue. Like So the reason why you would do that, say, with that creature is you enchant someone's, like, fauna shaman, right? And then a vengevine comes out and you're like, oh, I'd rather have that. So I'll pay blue and unta- and basically stop enchanting the one creature so that I can use his ability again to enchant the other one. But what it's saying, but the whole point of it being a special action is that y- that blue to end the effect, that can be done at any time. It doesn't use the stack. You can just do it um, whenever you have priority, right? So. Yeah. Okay. The fourth is some effects from static abilities allow a player to take an action to ignore the effect from that ability for a duration. Doing so is a special action. A player can take such an action anytime he or she has priority. What's a static ability? A static ability is an ability that's in play constantly. Like, um, like say if you have a lord that gives plus one plus one to all elves then then that's a static ability it's constantly going on okay that makes sense now it's saying that some static abilities allow a player to take an action to ignore ignore the effect for a duration um and that would be when it's a special like action end of turn or something like that yeah, it could just be that, you know, if you want to, to ignore this ability, you can ignore this ability at any time or whatever, and it'll give, yeah, until end of turn or until, you know, whatever. Your next untap step. Right, something. something. Yeah, it it just depends on the card. It would be on the card wha- usually what that would would uh, be, but that uh, using that would be a special action. So. Okay. The fifth is a player who has a card with suspend in his or her hand may exile that card. This is a special action. A player can take this action anytime he or she has priority, but only if he or she could begin to cast that card by putting it onto the stack. Now, this suspend cards, um, again, around the time, like the, the time spiral block, suspend cards... Aren't in existence right now. Well, they're not in standard, right? But they they are in existence, and what ends up happening with suspend cards is uh, just much like it says here. You you play the card, but but it actually is exiled from your hand, and so if it's exiled from your hand, you, it's not actually like you can't counter it until the card is cast. Like you can't counter someone putting it into suspend. It's exiled. And then it usually has a certain number of suspend counters on it, which tick down like each upkeep. And that's that's what. So that's basically what a suspend card is. Now it's trying to say it's a special action because of the fact that it's not. They're not cast like a spell is. I think so. I, I think I remember that in that first deck that we played the. Uh, 
something about well you can't do this until you know it's yeah it's in those in those de- the first right, I believe decks the, that like the Jace played. deck yeah. it might have had it might have had suspend cards yeah. in there yeah I I can't remember I haven't played that in forever but um it, it I believe it did have a couple suspend cards in there and yeah it's it's a it's an interesting ability because you're you're basically your spell is exiled from the game for a certain number of turns right and yeah. then at the end of those at the at the end of the uh suspend counters counting down yeah. that's when you're able to cast I the spell that. yeah so it's been a long time since the first game we ever played but yeah i remember that happening as a matter of fact i think there's a like one of the new, e- I don't know if it's F and M promo, but I believe it's for sure the Thursday night Magic promo on MTGO is called Rift Bolt, and that's a suspend card, hmm. which is kind of like a lightning bolt, but suspended hmm. for a couple turns. Interesting. So the let's see the n- sixth one. Sixth one is in a planar Magic game. Rolling the planar die is a special action. Which we have played a lot. Yes. Right, Boston? Yes, especially with EDH, and that takes forever. Right. Yes. Uh, player can take this action anytime he or she has priority, and the stack is empty during a main phase of his or her turn. <coughs> taking this action costs a player an amount of mana equal to the number of times he or she has previously taken this turn, mm. or this action on that turn. So again, that's not necessarily related to the magic rules in general. That's more of a casual format, but still, it's worth noting. It's it is one of the six special actions. So I have to say that I like playing. I like the plane the plane chase cards. Oh, I, I yeah. I know, I know that it makes for a long long group game, but I think it's fun. It's fun. It's a different different twist on the game for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then of course. If a player takes a special action, that player receives priority afterwards. It's a special action, so it's basically whoever... Usually the player has priority to take a special action to begin with, and then they just still have priority afterwards. So if you drop a land, you still have priority. Right. Okay. So, and then we will move on to zones. Zones! Who wants to start us out on zones? Boston does. Boston does? Boston does. Oh, wow. Okay. Why don't you start us out on zones there, Boston, Massachusetts? Alright. So, a zone is a place where objects can be during a game. There are normally seven zones. Library, hand, battlefield, graveyard, stack, exile, and command. Some older cards also use the anti-zone. Anti? Is it an anti-zone? No, it's anti, like anti. Anti, like you're playing for an anti in poker. Like anti. I don't know. Antebellum. It's it's called anti, but it's okay. It's like it's like as if you were playing for an anti in poker. They used to, they back in the in the days, a lot of people played magic for an anti, which is where you'd each put up a card, say to whoever won the game. So, okay. anyway, you were saying for it. Each player has his own library, hand, and graveyard. The other zones are shared by all players. What? So, do you get that? Yes, I understand that completely. Are you sure? Princess, do you get that? Because you were saying what? Mm. 
So uh-huh. you you have your own library, hand right. and graveyard. The battlefield is everyone's, right? Yeah. The stack is everyone's. You both put cards on the stack. Yeah, and you all exile. But what is command? Command I zone is I the zone, understand. like, say, for instance, where your generals for EDH oh. are kept. Oh, so, okay. like, in a normal standard game, you don't have a command zone? Um, I, I don't believe so. I'd have to... I'd have to look at that. I don't. Uh, I, you know, now that you mention it, I think that possibly badges from, say, planeswalker badges are kept in like a command zone, but they may mm. just be exiled. I'd have to. I'll have to look into that and get back to you on that. Okay. Uh, I believe they're kept in the command zone, but I'll I'll just double check. Okay. So as it is, uh, you were you were just about to talk about public zones, I believe. Yes, and public zones are zones in which all players can see the cards' faces except for those cards that some rule or effect specifically allows them to be faced down. Uh, Gregor, what? you give me an example? <laughs> the morph card? No, no, I just wanted an example of what you meant by public zones. Like, like I get what you're saying, like, those cards, uh, all players can see them, but what, what zones are those? Like the battlefield? They're the graveyard, battlefield, stack, exile, ante, and command <laughs> are public sense. <laughs> <laughs> you and the ante. Like, Christian used to call me ante. Yeah, yeah. just the same thing. Anyways. Okay. okay, so tell me about these hidden zones you were talking about. Hidden zones are zones in which not all players can be expected to see the card's faces. Library and hands are the hidden zones, even if all the cards in one such zone happen to be revealed. Okay, so you get that, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do, you know, except I have this card, the Tide Holer, Tide Hollow Skuller, right? right? Which um, they have to to show me reveal their hands. So Which still is a hidden zone. Right. Still so even it says library and hand are hidden zones even if all the cards in one such zone happen to be revealed. Okay. So it'll always be a hidden zone even if someone has to reveal it to you. Okay. If an object would go to a library, graveyard, or hand other than its owners, it goes to its owner's corresponding zone. Right. Not to Boston's graveyard or Boston's exile. Can you explain? It would go to mine. Can you explain to me uh, when that might happen? When that might be relevant? If an object would go okay, so obviously if you have a creature and I kill that creature, then it goes to your graveyard, right? Yes. Okay. So, what happens then if I take your creature with an act of treason? And say I sacrifice at the end of turn, where does that creature go? In my graveyard. Exactly. What? So. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so it is the owner, not the controller. So I, even though I was controlling your creature, it will still go back to its owner's graveyard. Right. And that is yeah. that is a common misconception among players that they they having a hard time grasping that the owner still retains control of it after it dies. Right. Yeah. I mean, not technically control, because it's not in play, 
but it still will go back to its owner's graveyard. So Understood. And so, did you want to continue on there then, Boston? Boston. Of course. Cards with certain card types can't enter certain zones. For example, if an instant or sorcery would enter the battlefield, it remains in its previous zone. Right, which we discussed under instants and sorceries last episode. Yes. And another example is, if a plane, vanguard, or scheme card would leave the command zone, it remains in the command zone. Do you know what a vanguard is? Or scheme card? Uh, yes, a scheme vanguard. card. Oh, please, go ahead, Boston. I was going to ask if like a scheme card is basically like the plain chase cards were. Oh. The, the scheme card is for arch enemy. Right? Oh. Yeah. Those or, cards or are called the... S- right. Well, not plain chase. Plain chase are the plain cards. Okay. The scheme cards were the ones for arch enemy. Okay. The yeah. vanguards are... If you like play Magic Online, for example... The vanguards are like a character that's like kind of a representation of you. Like, for instance, your avatar on on Magic Online is actually w- one of the vanguard cards. Like whatever vanguard you select, kind of. And then, so what they are is like each of the vanguards goes into the command zone, and it gives your you permanently you get a certain ability. Like say, uh, whenever you cast a creature spell, you get a one one. Sapperling token oh, okay. or something, you know. Okay. So it just gives you like abilities other than what are normally in the game. Hey, sounds exciting. Oh, uh, Boston. Well, it's it's a different way of playing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. The order of objects in the library, in a graveyard, or on the stack can be changed except when they effects can be are changed or they can't be changed. Can't Sorry. be changed? Yeah. Oh, whoops. Can't be changed <laughs> except when effects or rules allow it. The same is true for objects arranged in face-down piles in other zones. Other objects in other zones can be arranged however their owners wish. Although, who controls those objects, whether they're tapped or flipped, and what other objects are attached to them must remain clear to all players. Okay, so do we understand this? Looking through it again. Yes, I, I, I understand it. It took me a while, but I understood it. Okay, so basically, like, you just can't... You cannot change, like, the order of cards in your library, in your graveyard, mm-hmm. or anything, okay. unless there are rules that state otherwise, okay? okay. Right. And then if if, basically... The, the cards that are in... That's that's your library, graveyard, or on the stack that can't be changed. Like, say you have cards removed from the game, they can be changed, but if they d- you do change the order of them, then uh, whoever controls those has to basically make it clear to everyone else that they changed them. Okay. Okay. An object that moves from one zone to another becomes a new object with no memory of or relation to its previous existence. There are six exceptions to this rule. Hold on now. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. What does it mean that an object that moves from one zone to another becomes a new object with no memory of or relation to its previous existence? Can you give me an example of that? Uh... 
Here, let me give you an example. I was asking because I know that's confusing, but I know without explaining it that no one that's hard for people to understand. Yes. Okay. In my hand, a clone, for instance, is a creature, correct? Right. Yes. It basically has nothing really other than it, when it comes into play, it copies another creature into play. Okay. It has no, like, statistics of its own. So when, let's say, in my hand, it is one thing, okay? When I put it onto the battlefield, it becomes another thing. Like, say, you have a Bane Slayer down and I clone your Bane Slayer, okay? That, yes. Bane, that clone is now a Bane Slayer. He is no longer a clone. He is a Bane Slayer angel. Or okay. the land oh. that becomes a 4-4 beast. Beastie boy. Well, that be the same thing? no, because that's still the land that becomes. I mean, I get what you're saying to some extent, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, is so so that this isn't. That's not necessarily what I was trying to get to, though. That the so your clone, be, your clone becomes a Bane Slayer angel. Right. Now your clone card sees that it is a Bane Slayer angel while it's still on the battlefield. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now that clone dies. Okay? Why? Someone kills the clone. Okay. okay. Someone doomblades it. Okay? Yes. In the process, th- at some point in time, the Bane Slayer dies. Okay. Now, let's say you use something that returns the clone from the graveyard into play. Is that clone a Bane Slayer? Yes. No. Exactly. Yes. No, it's not, because when an object... That moves from one zone to another becomes a new object. Uh, 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 an object that moves from one zone to another becomes a new object with no memory of relation to its previous existence. So basically, because of the fact that the clone was on the battlefield, even though it copied the Bane Slayer, it actually became a a clone again once it hit the graveyard. It it became what it what its permanent card, what its spell is. Once it hit the graveyard, it does not remember that it was a Bane Slayer. It does not. It has no previous existence. So if it if it had six plus one counters before it died and hit the graveyard, it no longer has six. But it, but there are some exceptions to this rule. There are six, I believe you mentioned. There, Boston, Massachusetts. What are those six exceptions to this rule? One effects from spells activated abilities and triggered abilities that change the characteristics of a permanent spell on the stack continue to apply to the permanent that be- the spell becomes. Okay. So, basically, what it's trying to say is that uh, if, if, the sp- if they change th- the effects, if they change the spell on the stack, then that once that's, like, say... Um, and and I and I don't know this for sure because again this sounds like stuff that was before my time. But what I would assume that is is like changing the color of a creature or something like that, right? Because you can cha- make a creature into a red creature or whatever, and then once that creature is in play, it's still going to become a uh, a red creature or whatever. I and and that's again an assumption based on on what it's saying. Alright, so anyway, what's the uh, the second exception to the rule? The second is prevention effects that apply to damage from a permanent spell on the stack continue to apply to damage from the permanent that spell becomes. 
Okay, so, well, let's say that you had um, a spell that said target, um, prevent the next three damage from target spell or ability, okay? And someone cast a haste, uh, like a a goblin guide, which is a 2-2 with haste, okay? And they were going to kill you with that. It doesn't matter if they're going to kill you or not, but let's say they cast the the 2-2. So you cast your your prevent the next damage from target spell. Okay, 3 damage from target spell. You cast that targeting the goblin guide while it's on the stack. Now technically, the goblin guide is not a permanent and it's on the stack, right? So you prevent the damage and then it comes into play and it's a permanent. Now by the previous rules, it just switched zones so it would have forgotten that. This is one of the special rules where where technically it did not forget that it has the prevent three damage. So even if that goblin guide attacks you, the damage isn't is going going to be prevented. Okay, so that's basically what that is. All right. And you were going on to. If an ability of a permanent requires information about choices made as that permanent was cast as a spell including what mana was spent to cast that spell, it uses information about the spell that become that became that permanent as it resolved. Okay, so... Like, basically like a Protein Hydra, for instance, as you cast um, the Protein Hydra, you pump X mana into it, and X mana is what that, that becomes. So you pump it up, say... Um, you put five mana into it, so your protein hydra becomes a you know four four because it's a green and X mana, right? So your f- protein hydra will become if you put five put a green into it and four colorless, then your protein hydra becomes a four four based on that mana being put into it. Did you have something to say there, princess? No, I didn't. Oh, you look like maybe you might. Uh, no, I was pondering. Okay, and go ahead there, Boston. Fourth, abilities that trigger when an object moves from one zone to another. For example, when Rancor is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, can find the new object that it became in the zone it moved to when the ability triggered, if that zone is a public zone. So basically, like, again, um, with with the Rancor, for instance, what it's trying to say is, it has an ability that triggers when it moves from the battlefield to the graveyard, okay? So if it dies, technically in order for its trigger to go off, the trigger has to see that the Rancor core that was a permanent on the battlefield is now in the graveyard. But by the original the original uh, rule, it should have forgotten what it was when it was on the battlefield, Okay. And so it went to the graveyard, so it should have forgotten everything that it was when it was on the battlefield. Therefore, that sh- trigger shouldn't go off. But because this is one of the special uh, exceptions to the rule, its trigger specifically is made to do that. Okay, so so its trigger, in spite of the fact that it forgets what it is as a creature, its trigger will still go off and still remember that the Rancor was a permanent that went to the battlefield. When it, or went went to the graveyard from the battlefield. Okay, so that's what it is. It didn't. It th- that ability does not forget. 
that the that the cre- that the rancor was was on the battlefield and then went to the graveyard. Yes. Or rancor, I think, is actually an enchantment or something. But it's the idea that, like, w- uh, um, you know, there are a lot of en- there are enchantments that when they go to the graveyard, you return the creature that was attached to to its owner's hand and things like that. So it's just trying to say that when when uh, the when that happens, that specific ability does not forget. Okay. Did you get that, Boston? Yes, okay. Boston got that. So how about number five then? Number five is abilities of auras that trigger when the enchanted permanent leaves the battlefield can find the new object that aura became in its owner's graveyard. If it was put into that graveyard at the same time the enchanted permanent left the battlefield, it can also find the new object that Aura became in its owner's graveyard as a result of being put there as a state-based action for not being attached to a permanent. Oops. I kind of basically just gave that away, like just now when I was talking about enchantment auras and how like there are certain... uh, there are certain auras where like say um an aura if if you have an enchanted the enchanted creature goes to the graveyard then you return that um that aura to your hand or return that creature to your hand there's abilities like that and it's trying to say that even though technically the aura went to the like the the creature went to the graveyard and the aura went to the graveyard. It's st- that trigger, that ability, is still able to detect those things, in spite of the fact that they're no longer what they were when they were on the battlefield. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? In other words, it's just trying to say that, that again, based on the initial rule, wh- as soon as the the aura and the and the creature left the battlefield, they would forget. And they wouldn't be able to remember them, remember what they were, so they wouldn't be able to trigger those things. But it's saying these abilities specifically override that, and therefore they do remember, and therefore they do trigger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now the sixth: <clears throat> if an effect grants a non-land card an ability that allows it to be cast, that ability will continue to apply to the new object that card became after it moved to the stack as a result of it being cast this way. Alright, well, there are some spells that, like, will give something the ability, um, like, say, to be cast. You can cast certain cards from your graveyard, or it will let you cast certain spells for, like, pay two mana, and you can, you know, cast a certain spell for... Like, like, say you have a creature that has the ability that's like pay two mana and cast um, a creature spell from your hand or whatever. Um, what it, what it's trying to say basically is that uh, that the effect is giving is giving your uh, the your non land card the ability to be cast right, and once once it's on the stack, it still ha- it doesn't lose that ability to be cast. Um, or like say you're tr- even pulling like some cards can be replayed from the graveyard right which normally you can only cast things from your hand but some cards have these this like ability to you can pay an additional cost and cast it from your graveyard 
right? So even when it's on the stack, even though it shifts zones, it didn't lose the ability to be cast. Yeah, isn't blood gas like that? Uh, no, blood gas is it comes into pl- is it like when a land comes into play, it comes from the it, graveyard. It returns, yeah, right. but it doesn't actually get cast. But I understand that okay. could be confusing, and that does that's a good question. That does make sense. Um, okay, so I think we're are you're still doing zones here, aren't you? Yes. Okay. Did you want to go on with uh, the next one? Yes. Okay. If an object in the exile zone is exiled, it doesn't change zones, it be- but it becomes a new object that has just been exiled. If an object in the exile zone is exiled, it doesn't change zones, but it becomes a new object that has just been exiled. Yes. That's interesting. Um, really, it's it's simple enough. It's trying to say that, like, say, say you have seven cards exiled. I know there's a spell where you can have seven cards that are face-up exiled or whatever, and you can end up making those cards your library or something. But I, I'm trying to think of it from from this specific in this specific instance, and I can't think of a card off the top of my head that exiles a card that's already in the exiled zone, but it seems simple enough. It's trying to say that that uh, if you if you exile a card that's already exiled, okay, yeah. uh, it doesn't change zones. It still stays exiled, but it becomes a new object. So, so like if you if you ex like say I have a Baneslayer Angel exiled, then for some reason I exile it again, then it's a different Baneslayer Angel, okay? So, if I exiled a... I mean, I, I don't really see how it would really matter, but I'm sure there are spells that it would matter on. But it's basically just saying that if you re-exile something, it be it does lose the, the uh, memory of what it previously was. It becomes a new copy of that object exiled. So, simple enough, just seems confusing and... Wordy. Okay. So for so the next one. If a face-up object in the command zone is turned face down, it becomes a new object. Okay, fair enough. That's um that I mean that makes sense. You know, I I I don't know what they what you would be doing unless like you had a like a a legendary like a commander that was a morph creature or something. I I don't know what um what would be turned face up but that makes sense i mean it, it 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 changed in the same zone so it becomes a new object yeah okay right. are we moving on yeah yeah an object is outside the game if it isn't in any of the game zones outside of the game is not a zone okay and Right, exactly. So, did, w- what are some examples of those? Do you know some examples of those, Princess? Card, hey, why don't you let someone board? else talk there once in a while there, Boston, Massachusetts? Jeez. What? what? <laughs> so, why don't you let someone else talk there, Boston, Massachusetts? Because no one said so. No, that's why I said Princess. But it's okay. You can be Princess if you want to. <laughs> I don't want to be Princess. <laughs> yeah, you'd be much older and a girl. But yeah, you were saying cards what? 
cards in the player's sideboard are outside the game. That's very true. Some okay. some effects bring cards into a game from outside of it. Those cards remain in the game until it ends. Exactly. And there there are cards where like there a lot of these cards are like wish cards and things. And the wish cards like can find a card outside the game now. Normally, like if you're playing with your friends casually, it says you may pull in a card from outside the game. Well, you don't have to just use your sideboard. You can just open up your binder and grab whatever card you want, right? But but when you're playing in a tournament, if you actually are able to use a wish card, which most most tournaments you're not really able to do that because it's... I mean, there, I don't think there are... There aren't any in standard. I don't even know if there are any in extended anymore anyway, but... But basically, that would allow you to get into your sideboard. You couldn't just, like, go like, hey, does anyone have a... You know, Eldrazi that I can borrow. You know, it wasn't that way. It's it's uh, you could play with your sideboard. But uh, what was the uh, the last little uh, bit there on that? Cards outside the game can't be affected by spells or abilities, except for characteristic defining abilities printed on them and spells and abilities that allow the cards those cards to be brought into the game. Okay. Yep. And uh so that I mean that's pretty self explanatory. Um what was the last the last uh rule in that in zones there? Boston, Massachusetts. Some effects instruct a player to do something to a zone, such as shuffle your hand into your library. That action is performed on all cards in that zone. The zone itself is not affected. Okay. Or uh, shuffle your graveyard into your library. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the fu- zone itself doesn't change, but it, yeah, I mean, it'll affect everything in that zone. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and so library, do you want to go ahead and do that one there, Princess? Sure. Okay. Well, I figure we'll all... S- well, I'll take a little piece of this pie here. Yes, it is a big piece of pie. It's a big pie. It is a big kind of piece pie? of pie. Mm. So that was, uh, yeah. And the cream is good. So the library zone. <laughs> Let's talk. Uh, <laughs> I prefer cheesecake, but you know, you guys can have your banana cream. Uh, <laughs> what did you? <laughs> what did you say, Boston? Is that even a pie? <laughs> Technically, cheesecake no. is. Well, I mean, it's classified as pie to most people. But it's more of a pie than a cake. Yes. But it sounds like cake so it has cake <laughs> in its name. <laughs> yes, you're right. But pizza is a pizza pie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but, but a cheese is a cheesecake. Okay. Exactly. So when a game, so a library zone, the library zone. Let's yeah. let's learn about okay, that. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Okay. When a game begins, each player's deck becomes his or her library. Okay, self-explanatory. Each library must be kept in a single face-down pile. Players can't look or change the order of the cards in a library. Okay, so can't go through your library once the game has began. And you really can't do it before the game. Basically, it's it's not to be touched, and you can actually get in trouble if you touch your library too much because people can think you're cheating. Yeah, which would be bad. 
Any player may count the number of cards remaining in any player's library at any time. Yep. I didn't know that. You can do that. You cannot look at the cards, though. So if you're counting, you have to make sure that the cards remain face down and that you do not get the cards out of order. Okay, so if you ever decide to do that in an actual tournament, remember that, Boston. I will. I will. If an effect puts two or more cards on the top or bottom of the library at the same time, the owner of those cards may arrange them in any order. That library library's owner doesn't reveal the order in which the cards go into his or her library. And most most effects actually state that. Um, you know, they they'll say, "Look at the top seven cards." Uh, like summon summoner's trap, summoning trap. Um, reveal the top seven, or look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a creature card from among them into play. Put the other seven on the bottom of your library in any order. Mm-hmm. Okay, so most most will actually specify that, but that is true. If a spell or ability causes a card to be drawn while another spell is being cast. The drawn card is kept face down until that spell becomes cast. The same is true with the with relation to another ability being activated. Okay. So basically you don't get to look at the card until the until the uh the spell is actually cast. So you it's the the card gets drawn but um but the drawn card is kept face down, and then you actually can look at it when it, once the the thing is resolved, basically. Right. Okay. Are we clear, Boston? Yes. Kay. Okay. Good. Just gotta make sure you're okay over there. Sound like you're sleeping? Not sleeping. Oh, okay. <laughs> Some effects tell a player to play with the top card of his or her library revealed. Or say that a player may look at the top card of his or her library. If the top card of the player's library changes while a spell is being cast, the new top card won't be revealed and can't be looked at until the spell becomes cast. The same is true with relation to an ability being activated. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what's that? What's that card in your black deck that? Um, is it Nocturnus? The Vampire Nocturnus has the, the top card revealed. Mm-hmm. And so if, if a spell is being cast that will change the, what the top card is, mm-hmm. okay, um, then the, the new card won't be revealed until after the spell resolves. Like, like, like if you were to sign in blood. Exactly. If you right. sign in blood yourself and take the top two cards off, the next spell does not get flipped over until until that card resolves. So right. Okay. I think that was pretty pretty, pretty awesome. self explanatory yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. If an effect causes a player to put a card into a library X from the top, you know, like fifth from the top. Okay. And their library has fewer than five cards five in it. Five cards right. in it. The that uh, the player puts that card on the bottom of that library. Right. So, in other words, if if you have to, okay, 
um, we'll say that the the spell oust, right? That spell says put target creature into the library third from the top. Well, if there's only two cards in their library, or we'll say one card in their library, then they'll just put it on the bottom, right? So okay. that makes sense. Okay. And uh, let's move on to hand. I'll I'll go ahead and take hand since it's short, and I don't want to have to do too much work. Ah. Uh, all right. What work you actually do do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I try and stay away from it myself. <laughs> All right, so hand here, the hand zone. Hand. 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 <laughs> the hand is where a player holds cards that have been drawn. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Cards can be put into a player's hand by other effects as well. For instance, card draw spells. At the beginning of the game, each player draws a hand of seven cards. Seven. Each player has a maximum hand size, which is normally seven cards. A player can have any number of cards in his or her hand, but as part of his or her cleanup step, the player must discard excess cards down to the maximum hand size. Now, as a special little note there, there are spells... Mm-hmm. Um, there are Well, there, I should say there are spells, but there are lands, there are artifacts, things like that that will give you no maximum hand size. Mm-hmm. There's also spells... Uh, or at least I know for sure that there's like um, there's the like some certain abilities can give you um, make it to where you have less of a hand size. Seriously? Yeah, there are actually even avatars that would on Magic Online where if you're going to play some of the old Vanguard games, um, there are avatars that have like good abilities, but then their negative side is like you only can have a maximum hand size of six or something. Ugh. So That would be irritating. Yeah. And then a player may arrange his or her hand in any convenient fashion and look at it as much as he or she wishes. A player <laughs> can't look at the cards in another player's hand but may count those cards at any time. So this is this comes up to the whole, you know, thing I like to give people a hard time about. You're about talking about shuffling, right? Constantly now. shuffling their cards in their hand. <laughs> I like, I organize my hand. Uh, I have land on one side. I have, um, I divide them into colors. And then by color, I do how much mana they are. Well, the only problem with that, and I, I, I will just say this, like, the, the the key to the shuffling is the fact that it does keep yeah. people from knowing, right. you know, what what cards you're playing. So if I know that you've got your hand, your land on your right hand but side you of don't your hand. Know. Right, but if I'm watching you enough. Because what I do is I have my hand and then I'll fold my hand, you know, like. You'll put, put them all together. Yeah. and then Right. Which yeah. is good because that's what I keep telling people. Well, you could just do a couple little things and then you don't have to worry about shuffling mm-hmm. constantly, but people don't like to listen. So, <laughs> anyway, the uh, battlefield. How about Boston, Massachusetts goes over the battlefield? Yes, the battlefield. The most, most of the area between the players represents the battlefield. The battlefield starts out empty. Permanents a player controls are normally kept in front of him or her on the battlefield though there are some cases such as an aura attached to another player's permanent when a permanent one player controls is kept closer to a different player yeah and that's 
that's mostly for convenience sake, uh, just so that you remember that, say, an Oblivion Ring is on it. Well, that's that's not an aura, but that's also an example. Um, but say you pacify another person's creature, which is an enchantment aura, um, it's easier to put that on the other player's side of the battlefield so that they know which creature it's enchanting, right? So. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Continue. Uh, continue. Now, a spell or ability affects and checks only the battlefield unless it specifically mentions a player or another zone. Okay. Affects and checks only the battlefield unless it specifically mentions a player or another zone. So mm, that's sense. basically, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Now, a permanent exists, permanence exists only on the battlefield. Every object on the battlefield is a permanent. Okay. So you get the once, once uh, again, as we stated before, instants and sorceries do not ever go to the battlefield. So anything that's actually on the battlefield. I was just thinking that the sorcery thing. Remember I had issues with that. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. And whenever a permanent enters the battlefield, it becomes a new object and has no relationship to any previous permanent represented by the same card, except the six cases discussed earlier. Right, exactly. So we already covered the six cases where that's different, but permanents are not the spell that they that they were when they were on the stack and in the hand. Yes. Okay. Previously, the battlefield was called the in-play zone. Cards that were printed with text that contains the phrases in-play, from-play, into-play, or the like are referring to the battlefield. Cards that were printed with the text have received error. Uh, mm. in the Oracle card reference. Okay. That's so, awesome. Yeah. What so does that ba- basically, confusing word mean? What was what? Um, what does that errata. confusing word mean? Errata. Well, that basically, it's saying that... Uh, They've in the, the oracle card reference. When you look at the oracle, um, you can see that uh, it, it basically gives the updated card rulings and things like that. So that if you look at the oracle, like on Magic Online, or I mean on Magic's website, Wizards website, you can see that like the card changes, like the card database has changed the wording of certain cards. So instead of like even though those cards say in play or from play or whatever now it will say it will be updated to say into the battlefield right and they also do things like change like say a card was previously uh zombie knight and they decided to make it or just a zombie will say and they decided to make it a zombie knight or something like that or it was just a knight and they made it a zombie knight because it fit in with it like i think previously the Hes- headless horseman was not a zombie Right, and now it is a zombie. So it's basically like the errors, uh, uh, like like the. It's not necessarily with wizards. It's not really errors. It's like previously it was one thing, and And they corrected it to fit the new game. Right. Okay. So um, it's just changing terminology. Yeah, it's changing the terminology exactly. Way to go, princess. Thank you. You're welcome. So I'm going to go over the graveyard here because. This one's really short, and I don't want to do any work, and then the princess can cover <laughs> the stack. Oh, which a lot of people are looking forward to. 
Yes, yes, actually. We have had uh, people talking to us that wanted some information about the stack, so we will be going over that to make you all happy. The stack. The graveyard. The graveyard. A player's graveyard is his or her discard pile. Any object that's countered, discarded, destroyed, or sacrificed is put on top of its owner's graveyard, as is any instant or sorcery spell that's finished resolving. Each player's graveyard starts out empty. Each graveyard is kept in a single... Well, that that's makes sense, right? Any Complete. confusion there? No, okay. no confusion. Boston, I know you get confused easily. Clear as mud. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure you didn't fall asleep over there. All right, so each graveyard is kept in a single face-up pile. A player can examine the cards in any graveyard at any time, but normally can't change their order. Additional rules apply to DCI-sanctioned tournaments may allow a player to change the order of cards in his or her graveyard. Okay. So, basically, you just don't touch the, the cards once they go in there. Um, now, the person generally, the person who has, like, it's their turn usually, depending depending on, on what's going on, but there is an order that things can be put into the graveyard, but once they're actually there, um, they don't get touched, right? Right, unless you have a card that, like, well, you have... There are some I don't cards know that of say, any. Well, no, no. There are cards that say, um, "This card gets this if there's X amount of for every like well, zombie." Gets, or right, becomes an XX for the number of zombies in the graveyard. Right. So you can count the cards. Like yeah. it says, you can look at them. You just can't change the right. order that right. they're in there. Right. right. So. Um, if an effect or rule puts two or more cards into the grave at the same time, the owner of those cards may arrange them in any order. So I guess I shouldn't oh, have jumped good. ahead of myself there, but that's, that's okay. That's what I was stating that you can they can be arranged once they're going in by the owner, but then once they're there they don't get moved. Unless there's like specific rules. Okay, so on to the big one, the stack. Stack. Stack Stack. Well that sounded retarded. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. Here's where we get deep, folks. When a spell is cast, the physical card is put on the stack. When an ability is activated or triggers, it goes on top of the stack without any card associated with it. Exactly. Now, again, you know, this this won't always happen. It's not like for 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 new players that that may be confused about this they hear about the stack and they think there's just like this square in the middle of the battlefield where all your cards go on top of a stack and that's not necessarily the case generally like say you can cast a lightning bolt and you don't need to put it on the stack even if someone counters it you don't need to just keep piling the cards on top of one another because it makes sense it's it's simple and you don't have to it doesn't get too complicated but there are s- plenty of interactions where the stack can become very important you start using storm cards and things like that where a bunch of spells are going on at the same time then people need to place the spells and abilities on a stack so that they can well we'll we'll get continue yeah, getting thank into you. that but yeah don't but steal no, my thunder. well i just wanted to make it clear that a lot of people will hear that and think that there's just this literal zone stack. that people and there right. is there is a literal stack but you don't always play with it because most right. stuff is done without you having to worry about it right people remember the order in which things were played right exactly okay 
The stat keeps track of the order that spells and or abilities were added to it. Each time an object is put on the stack, it's put on top of all objects already there. Okay. So everything that's that's cast goes on top of the stack, right? Right. And and again this go, going back to like sorceries and creatures and things like that, if they're not on the bottom of the stack, they can't be cast, right? Because they're not instance only only instance instant speed cards or abilities can go above something else on the stack like creatures enchantments artifacts sorceries they all have to be on the bottom they have to be the first thing on there right right because okay. you have to start with something yeah exactly if an effect puts two or more objects on the stack at the same time those controlled by the active player are put on lowest followed by each other's players objects in active player, non-active player, order, or APNAP, order we discussed about last episode. If a player controls more than one of these objects, that player chooses their relative order on the stack. Okay, so basically this, this goes in the same last episode we were talking about, like if I played a Patriarch's Bidding, and it meant that all creatures were returned. We chose a creature type, and all creatures of that type came from our graveyard to play. And we, even though all that happens at the same time, it still has to be in order to determine it. So, like the active player starts, and then e- clockwise each person decides. And that's what it's. What this is saying is, is if two or more objects are put on the stack at the same time, then the active player are put the lowest, right? And then and because they I mean they technically can't share the same spot on the stack, right? right? So they're put on the stack at the same time, but the the active players are put the lowest. Okay. Each spell has all the characteristics of the card associated with it. Each activated or triggered ability that's on the stack has the text of the ability that created it and no other characteristics. The controller of a spell is the person who cast it. The controller of an activated ability is the player who activated it. The controller of a triggered ability is the player who controlled the ability's source when it was triggered, unless it's a delayed triggered ability. Okay. So, does this make sense to you guys, or is that confusing? That makes sense to me. Yeah, I think it does. Okay, good. To determine the controller of a delayed triggered ability, you have to, Boston... Uh, If a spell creates a delayed trigger ability, the source of that delayed trigger ability is is that spell. The controller of that delayed trigger ability is the player who controlled that spell as it resolved. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. If an activated or triggered ability creates a delayed triggered ability, the source of that delayed triggered ability is the same as the source of that other ability. The controller 
of that delayed triggered ability is the player who controlled that other ability as it resolved. I know that sounds weird, but basically the person who was in control mm-hmm. of the triggered ability is in control of the delayed triggered ability as the delayed triggered ability resolves. I mean, it, right. it's it's more simple than it makes it sound. It's pretty easy, really, when it comes right down to it to determine who was in control of an ability, right? Right. But there are some some instances where it becomes more complicated. General rule, uh, you know, of thumb, though, or whatever, is that, you know, the person who cat who was in control of it when it started is in control of it when it ends, unless somehow it changes. So, okay. If a static ability generates a replacement effect, which causes a delayed triggered ability to be created, the source of that delayed triggered ability is the object with that static ability. The controller of that delayed triggered ability is the same as a controller of the object at the time the replacement effect was applied. So once again, I mean... It, it's more or less like the source of of the the ability or the effect of the ability the controller is is remains that like by the end of it right so if if uh the, the delayed triggered ability uh Is is basically the same. It still remains the same, even if there's, um, the the I mean the the controller remains the same as it was at the time of a replacement effect. Right. Okay, so it's just trying to confuse everybody. Yeah, I mean it 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 is very confusing and wordy. So that's what's what's confusing about it. But anyway, okay, go ahead. When all players pass in succession, the top or last added spell or ability on the stack resolves. If the stack is empty when all players pass, the current step or phase ends and the next step begins. Right. So so basically if if the stack is empty when 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 players pass, it goes on to the next phase. That's how when when both players have passed um priority and there's nothing on the stack, that's when it goes to the next, right? to the next uh, phase and and more or less it's saying uh, that you you resolve the stack from the top down right right? which is why you want to generally try and be the last thing on the stack because the last thing's on the top and that's going to resolve first and it depends on on the situation though of course but like say someone plays a counter spell to your lightning bolt and you play another lightning bolt on top of that well your lightning bolt's going to go off Right, so there's lots of different. I mean, there's so many different interac- interactions. I don't even want to get into that right now. But more or less, the top top down on the stack. Okay. Hey, Boston. Yes. Did you know some things that happen during the game don't use the stack? Are you serious? I'm serious. I I'm betting that we may have already talked about a couple of these, but 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 let's see. Like uh, I I noticed that that effects don't go on the stack. They're the result of spells and abilities resolving. Effects may create delayed triggered abilities, however, and these may go on the stack when they trigger, which we've also covered. So, you know, again, effects 
that are the result of spells and abilities resolving yeah. do not go on the stack. There's no choice. They just go off. Right. So what What? What would be one, another one of these things that doesn't use the stack there, Boston, Massachusetts? Stack abilities continuously generate effects and don't go on the stack. This includes characteristic defining abilities such as blah, blah, blah is red. So some object is red. Also, uh, things like elf creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Oh, weird. I used elves again. There you go. Episode number two. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, it looks like also mana abilities resolve immediately. So if a mana ability both produces and has another effect, the mana is produced and the other effect happens immediately. If a player had priority before a mana ability was activated that player gets priority after it resolves. Okay. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Like mm-hmm. if, so, And the mana abilities generally can't be stopped hardly ever by almost anything. So um, there are a few rare exceptions, but... Right. Okay. And uh, special actions don't use the stack. They happen immediately. Which we've discussed. Yes, we did. It's one of the golden rules. Okay. Hey, Boston, do you know any more things that happen during the game that don't use the stack? Turn-based actions don't use the stack. Great point. Yes, they happen automatically when certain steps or phases begin. They're dealt with before a player would receive priority. Return-based actions also happen automatically when each step and phase ends. No player receives priority afterward. Okay. Hmm. And, uh... How about you, Tangent? Do you know any others? Oh, jeez. Um... Yeah, so we actually do some work. I guess. <laughs> I'm making him. I'm voluntoling him. State-based actions don't use the stack. They happen automatically when certain conditions are met. They are dealt with before a player would receive priority. For example, if a player has zero life or less, he or she loses the game. What? Yes, there is no stack for that. You just die. (laughs) Now, is there anything that uh, can take effect before you die? Like, say, damage is is dealt to you. Say, like, say I'm at a six life, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. And well, you can do stuff to me before you die. Like if you have something, like can't you play like a lightning bolt if you have? Right, right, right. I'm I'm not talking about that because if I can I can do. You know I can do anything that I can do during an instant time. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, damage is resolving. Right. I am going to take six points of damage from a creature. Okay. Is there any way that? in the damage resolution step that I would not die if, you, if I was taking six points of damage? Uh, like, say... Maybe if you had here's, here's, a path... Or, not path... A safe passage? If that was on, if there was something that prevented damage, that's correct, but but I'm saying I'm going to take six damage. Here's here's what, I was, what I'm getting at. Concede. Um, what was that? <laughs> concede. <laughs> yes, you're right. That is one thing. You do not need... You can concede the game before you lose. Um, so you're essentially, losing. you're still losing. Uh, but say I was taking six damage, right? 
but let's say I had a worm coil engine in play that was blocking another creature at the time. Remind me I'm what worm coil is? Worm coil is a 6-6 six, six creature that has death touch and lifelink. Okay. Okay. So let's say he's blocking a different creature. Mm-hmm. I, six damage is getting through, but the worm coil engine has death touch and lifelink. Mm. Lifelink, even though I am taking six points of damage, the lifelink will be gained before I would actually die. Even though it technically is dealing its damage at the same time, I would gain the life before I would die. That would make okay. sense. So mm-hmm. so that's the one time when like you will not if if you're gaining life at the time when combat damage is resolved, even though you're taking six damage and that should normally kill you, the lifelink will be gained before you die. Okay. Lifelink will save you. Right. I think Boston said the next one already. Pretty much you can concede the game at any time. That is true. Mm-hmm. And uh is there a last one by any chance? If a player leaves a multiplayer game, objects may leave the game, cease to exist, change control, or be exiled as a result. These actions happen immediately. Okay, so... Don't ever, ever leave a multiplayer game. Don't concede. Don't concede until you're dead. Because otherwise you can mess up the game for everyone else. Right, Boston? (laughs) Yes, Boston. (laughs) So, Boston, I'm just curious about this thing called the Exile Zone. Of course, he'd be confused by this, so I'll explain it. I said curious, not confused, but we can go ahead and (laughs) go down that road. Go for it. The Exile Zone is essentially a holding area for objects. Some spells and abilities exile an object without any way to return that object into another zone. Other spells and abilities exile an object only temporarily. Okay, so in other words, like, there is a creature from Scars, one of the new ones, that will exile a permanent until the end of, until the next end step. So, that's one example right there. Tide Hollow Strix? Or no, am I thinking Skuller? Skuller will exile it until it dies. Until the Tide Hollow dies. Right, exactly. Yes, I played that. Yes, you did, because it's an <laughs> artifact. Crazy. Flying. With no. No. You're wrong, no. but that's okay. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting <laughs> confused. That's because you haven't been able to play them in too long. No. Okay, Ooh. so you were saying, Boston? Moving on. To exile an object is to put it into the exile zone from whatever zone it's currently in. An exiled card is a card that has been put into the exile zone. Is it exile or exile? Exile? What? Is it exile or exile? Yeah, E-G-G. Oh, exile, <laughs> not exile. <laughs> yeah, I'm just that's playing. funny. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Egg-zile. Exile. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, Boston. Exile cards are, by default face up and may be examined by any player at any time. I thought they were face down. No, they We always play them face down. Well, it's just we we just play it that way to distinguish them from our graveyard Mm -hmm. is why. It's not because they're necessarily supposed to be. Okay. Alright. There are cards. Go ahead. You were saying. Sorry, Boston. About the exiled face down cards. 
Cards I exile face down can't be examined by any player except when instructions allow it. Yep. There are certain cards that specifically say exile a certain number of cards face down. Right. Okay. Okay. Alright. Exile cards that might be returned to the battlefield or any other zone should be kept in separate piles to keep track of the respect of their respective ways of returning. Exile cards that may be that may have an impact on the game due to their own abilities, such as cards with haunt, or the abilities of the cards that exiled them should likewise be kept in separate piles. Okay. Does that make sense? You can have multiple exile piles, basically. Basically, and they're all based on different, you know, things like whether or not they could come back into play or if they have certain abilities that have to do with them being exiled. Right. Yes. Okay. Makes sense. And then an object may have one ability printed on it that causes one or more cards to be exiled. And that and and another ability that refers to either the exiled cards or to cards exiled with this object. These abilities are linked. The second refers only to cards that have been exiled due to the first. Okay. Yes. <coughs> does that make sense to you? An, yes, an object. Uh, it does make sense to you. Explain it. You seem confused. No, it's just I thought you were gonna. No, talk. no, I didn't. I. It seems pretty self-explanatory to me, so I just wanted to make sure. Yep. Yeah. All right. Moving on. If an object in the exile zone becomes exiled, it doesn't change zones, but it becomes a new object that has just been exiled. Right, and we discussed that already. It's, mm. I don't know what spells necessarily do that unless there's one that says, like, exile target face-up cards and exile them face-down or something, you know? But Yes. And previously, the exile zone was called the removed-from-the-game zone. Cards that were printed with the text that removes an object from the game exiles that object. The same is true for cards printed with the text that sets an object aside. Uh, cards that were printed with that text have received errata in the Oracle card reference. Okay. Awesome. Johnny, um, you do not get to aim tangent. You do not get to do the next one because that is less work. No, I think I have to do this one. Uh, this one is anti. Anti. Earlier versions of the magic rules included an anti rule as a way of playing four keeps. Playing magic games for anti is now considered an optional variation of the game. Therefore, we will not be discussing it, but can give individuals info should they desire it. So, hmm. if you want any more info on anti, get, send us a message about it. Otherwise, we're really not going to get into it because it's, you know... There's, it's not really played most of the time nowadays. Yeah. Let's so, go over the command zone, princess. Command? That's very commanding. <laughs> the command zone is a game area reserved for certain specialized objects that have an overarching effect on the game, yet are not permanent and cannot be destroyed. Okay, so... Um, there's there's several things you'll get into it here, but um, in other words, they have an effect on the game usually, um, 
a lot of times like a almost global effect on the game, but it, it just depends. They all they do have an effect on the game, but they're not that they, nothing can be done about them. Okay. All right. Emblems may be created in the command zone, such as Elspeth's knight errant's ultimate ability. Right. Uh, Elspeth's ability when it goes off is uh, you get a emblem that states that permanence that you have cannot be destroyed. Permanence you have are indestructible. Okay. Which is awesome. What was that? I said which is very awesome. Yes, and, and new, the new spell from Scars of Mirrodin, Koth, uh, its final ability when it resolves is uh, mountains you control have tap, deal one damage target creature or player. Okay. Ouch. So the, the, that's what an emblem is. It's something mm-hmm. that stays in the game permanently and can't be changed. In the planar magic vanguard, EDH and arch enemy casual variants, non-traditional magic cards and or specially designed cards start the game in in the command zone. Each variant has its own rules regarding such cards. Right, exactly. Like so the planes from plane chase or the Arch enemy schemes from the arch enemy. They they sit in the command zone and those affect the game from the command zone, but nothing can be done about them. Which we've played that since the last episode, the arch enemy. I think we played it a few episodes ago. Was it? Did we? Yeah, that that this was is only our second episode. Right. I'm um, well, not a few episodes ago, but I think we played it a few weeks ago. I don't oh, think it yeah. was like before okay. last episode. It was pretty fun. Um. So that's basically it for. Zones. That's the zones, and you know we'll get more detailed. We have more things to to discuss. Um, we have turn order and things like that. And some people had some requests, which we will definitely get to. We're not we're not uh we're not going to leave anything out. We definitely want to cover the topics that people want. We just we had this this planned, and so we'll we'll have a couple you know weeks planned out really. But we'll definitely get to the topics that you want. So send us your requests. And we will discuss them. And questions. And questions. And if you have comments about things that you've heard on here, uh, you can send them to tapthatmana at gmail.com. Yep. You can find me uh, on Twitter, Artifact Princess. Is it Artifact Princess on Twitter? Well, that's what my name is. But you actually, to look for you, you're Princess4DYN. Yeah, yeah, but only one S. Right. P-R-I-N-C-I-S. Four, the number, the number four, four yeah. and then DYN. Yeah. And of course, I am Tangent DYN on Twitter and Boston, Massachusetts. What are you on Twitter? Lumpy. 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 Tangent's new to Facebook, too. Uh, yes, I am on Facebook, which it would be Tangent Manuscrewed. And uh, I think that's about it for this week. We've We've pushed an hour and 30 minutes here, so... Um, hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get back to us, and we appreciate your questions and comments. And we will definitely look forward to getting back to you and look forward to the next show. Have a great night, everybody. Have a great night, and until next week, remember to tap that mana! I'll be back. Ha, you did not going to say that, did you? <laughs> <laughs>